something only to receive it and then we're like shocked, like, oh, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that worked. Or maybe it was simply a request you made one day to someone. You just thought, I'm just going to ask for that. Something probably that seemed out of reach, something that didn't seem like it was really going to happen. You're just like, I'll just, I'll throw it out there and see what happens. Do you think I could have that? And the answer ends up being yes. And you're like, oh, I did not expect that. Right? Have you ever been surprised when you got what you asked for? It's kind of a weird circumstance to be in, but I feel like we've all been there and it happens to us quite a bit of the time. There's a story just like that that happens in the Christmas story. We're going to be in the book of Luke today, uh, not Luke chapter 2 talking about Jesus. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 talking about John. And there's a gentleman in the story, it's John's dad, his name's Zechariah, and he asks for something, and he gets it, and he's a little bit surprised. Luke chapter 1, verse 11, if you guys have your Bibles with you today. It says, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer, and your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He'll be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Let's pray. Father, you're good, and we love you, and we are so glad that you're with us tonight. And uh, we're really hoping that it's you who speaks to us tonight, that your word would be clear, that the Holy Spirit, you would be active, that you would be moving, that you would be transforming us in this place. God, we just pray that um, you would have the freedom to work, that we would give you the freedom to work in our lives and in our hearts tonight. Help us to be open and receptive to what it is that you would want to do here. I pray that if that means we have to get uncomfortable or be challenged or whatever it is, God, we give you the freedom to move, and I pray that you would just do that. Speak to us. Change us. Transform us. I pray that, that, that when we leave tonight, it would have been worthwhile because we are here, and we praised your name, and we declared that you were good, and you spoke into your kingdom, and we are strengthened for it. We love you, and we pray that you would speak now in these next few moments. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, how are we doing today? Good? It's good to be in church. That's awesome. Uh, good to see you. Hello to everyone at the South Campus that's watching with us right now. And I uh, had a blast. I spoke at South Campus last weekend. And it was awesome. You guys watched a video. Well, you, some of you didn't. Some of you were here. Uh, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And God is doing some really cool things at the South Campus. 
and uh, we're excited about that. Uh, if you're new, if we've never met before, my name is Mark. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosspoint. And uh, we, man, we're two weeks out from Christmas. That, like two weeks from this weekend is Christmas. And that's either really exciting or really alarming. Maybe both, I'm not sure. Depends on your personality. Uh, and so I, I want to take a few minutes right now to talk about Christmas before I preach about Christmas, all right? Uh, first thing, C4. C4 is our annual Christmas event. Happens at the convention center. Cross points Christmas at the convention center. There are four C's, C's, C's. Um, this is an awesome event. You need to be there. We love doing this. Uh, here's why. Number one, this is our biggest outreach of the year. There will be over 1,000 people that show up to C4 this year, and we will declare the name of Jesus. Okay? It will be good, and it will be worthwhile for that alone. So you need to be there. You need to bring some people. This is our most invitable service of the year. We'd like to think that all of them are. People will go to church at Christmas. Right, so bring some people with you, get them here. Uh, this is also uh, a really cool opportunity for us to gather under one roof with a whole bunch of cross pointers that you probably don't see most of the other weeks. We're in four services at two different locations, and so this is a fun opportunity for you to see people that maybe go to a different time or a different place uh, that you haven't seen in a long time or whatever. Uh, it's still not one service under one roof. Uh, th that'll come someday, uh, but right now this is our next best opportunity, and so it's just a cool opportunity for the whole family to get together and worship Jesus in the same place and on the same day. Um, this is also going to be a really, really fun, creative event, uh, and the stuff that Pastor Jamie and his crew have poured into C4 this year is, is unbelievable. I think it's going to be our best one yet, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear it and to see it. Uh, we actually, if you were online this week, uh, then you saw that we just released our own Crosspoint Christmas music album. It's got four songs on it, and uh, that's kind of part of what's happening at C4. It, it's attached to it, and so now you should go download it. Uh, find us on Facebook or Twitter, and you can find the link. Uh, but that's kind of part of what we're doing, and you need to be there uh, to see the rest of it. Uh, it's very, very fun. And so... Be there, bring some people with you. People will go to a free Christmas event at the convention center. Just because it sounds like, oh, that's a Christmassy thing to do. I'm going to go do that. Uh, and it's totally free. Right? We don't charge people to go to this. People will assume they're supposed to pay. People will say, well, do I, where do I get tickets? What do I charge? It's totally free. Uh, we want it to be free. Uh, it's also our Christmas services, right? You don't want to pay people to come to church. Um, right? Like, Salvation is free. Crosspoint charged me five bucks, right? Like that's, that's weird and we don't want to do that. Um, however, that being said, uh, an event like C4 is still a significant kind of financial investment for us. Uh, it, it takes a lot of money to rent the convention center. Uh, Signature Sound does all of the stage, the lights, the video. It's all of their staff that set it up and run it the whole night, the whole nine yards. These are the guys that do Harvest. Right, so it's pro and it's awesome, but we pay for it. Uh, but here's the thing. In prior years, we have actually raised the money from you guys to help put that on. It, it, we usually ask for about $10,000 to put on our biggest outreach of the year. Uh, we don't want to do that this year. We're not raising money to do that this year. Um, one of those reasons is that we just asked you for a whole bunch of money to launch a South Campus. Uh, and that was awesome, and you gave generously, and it's super. Um, 
the other reason is this, it's outreach and we do it every year and so it's just normal now and so we're not we're not going to raise money to put it on but we're still going to have to pay for it so if you feel so inclined to give to c4 you absolutely can and when you do you can just designate that it's towards c4 and it'll get put towards that uh, but we just want to be generous this year and just say hey let's go do it and see what happens god always does something incredible at c4 um, lives are changed at C4. We, we meet new families every year because of C4. And so be praying for us. Get it on your calendar. Bring some people. It is going to be a good time. You excited? It's going to be good. Um, the other part about Christmas uh, is that the day after C4 and the day after that is Saturday and Sunday. That's usually when we would have church. Uh, it's also Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, but we made a decision last year uh, unrelated to Christmas, but we just said that the weekend that follows C4, we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're going to have what we call a Sabbath weekend. And what we mean by this is that we're, we're going to give everyone who helps pull off the weekend at church, all of the staff, all of the volunteers, ushers, greeters, coffee people, kids workers, nursery workers, video media, it takes a ton of people to kind of pull off a weekend. We're, we want to give them that off every single year just kind of as a thank you, and also rest is good for your soul, and our world is bad at that, and it's biblical. And so what we did last year was that instead of having church that weekend, uh, we still had it, it was just online. And I preached, and we led worship, and you can give in the whole nine yards, you just don't have to leave your house. So there is church on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day this year, it's just in your living room, and you'll be able to watch it from our website. Okay, does that sound good? Uh, it, it's not to do with Christmas Day. It just happens to be Christmas Day. A lot of people are like, I can't believe you're not doing church on Christmas Day. Uh, we are. Just go to crosspointchurch.ca. And uh, we'll have done it twice the night prior to that. And uh, so that's how we're celebrating Christmas this year. And we're excited about it. Uh, we had a lot of people asking if we had any kind of physical invitations to C4. We did just print a whole bunch of those off. Uh, they'll be here Monday morning. Because <laughs> that's how it goes. Uh, so this week, starting on Monday, uh, you can come by the church and grab a bunch of those. They'll be here next weekend as well. Uh, but just an easy way to get those out at work or school or wherever. All right, enough about Christmas. Let's talk about Christmas. Uh, we're in our Advent series and kind of we are walking through the story of Advent, the story of Christmas, uh, talking about all of the waiting and the hoping that precedes the birth of Jesus. And that's literally what the last two weeks were about. We talked about waiting and we talked about hoping. And they're very similar but still very different things. Uh, we're going to talk about another one of those tonight that's also similar but still very different. I want to talk today about expectation. I want to talk about what it means to have expectations with God and, and with church and with our prayers. Um, expectation is the belief that something just should happen, right? It's the assumption that that's what that person does, so that's what they're going to do. I expect them to do it. It's the assumption that when I do a certain thing, an action follows that because that's just the way that it works, right? We have expectations about all kinds of things. A lot of them are just unspoken. We don't even think about them. When you put your key in the ignition and you turn it, you expect your car to start, right? When it doesn't, that's when you go, whoo, something's wrong. 
I didn't expect that. Right? We, we have expectations at our jobs. Your boss has expectations for you and what you're supposed to do and what your job looks like. You have an expectation to be treated a certain way by your boss and, and to get a paycheck at the end of the week or two. Um, we, we have expectations in our relationships. Uh, this is huge. Uh, every relationship has expectations. Well, this is, this is how it works. This is what I do. This is what she does. This is how we get along. And in fact, a lot of the times, strife that is in a relationship usually boils down to expectations not being met. Well, I didn't know you wanted me to whatever. Well, your expectations are away. I can't believe you expect me to do that. Well, I thought you were going to, and it just turns into this crazy huge thing. Right? It's just, it's expectations. Maybe they got miscommunicated somewhere along the way, but it's kind of a big deal. We, we have expectations for a lot of different things. You have expectations about church. You came here today, you came to the South Campus today, and, and you had expectations. Well, I'm going to go to church, there's going to be music, and then there's going to be a sermon, and there's going to be coffee, and that's what's going to happen. Right? And, and if it didn't, right, like if, if instead of worship today, we just had 30 minutes of like chanting monks, you would be like, huh, oh, was not expecting this. Didn't think this would be on the menu for tonight. Right? Like, if we didn't brew coffee some weekend, you'd, half of you would be gone. Right? You'd be like, no, I, I thought there would be coffee. Right? I've got expectations uh, about church when I go. Some of you, maybe this is your first weekend here, and you didn't know what to expect. Right? And so people come to church sometimes with different expectations. And they think, well, maybe it'll be just like the church I grew up in, right? And you come to church, and what we hear from a lot of people who are new, especially a lot of the time, on their way out was, that was not what I was expecting, right? This is different than I expected. And, and sometimes that's really good, and sometimes maybe it's not, right? In fact, that's not what I was expecting is one of those fantastic phrases that can be either really good or really bad, depending on the scenario, Right? Like, if you were going into something and you were dreading it, it was just, I'm, this is going to be awful, it's going to be the worst, and then it happens, and, and it was actually really good or really fun, what do you say? Oh, that's not what I was expecting. That was great. Right? But on the flip side, if you're going into something like, this is going to be the best, like, woo, and it's just awful, and, and you're disappointed and it tanks, what do you say? The nice way to say it was bad was, well, it's not what I was expecting, expectations. We've all got them for all these other things in our lives, but we also carry them very much into our relationship with Jesus and into our walk with the Lord. Um, back to the Bible, uh, we're talking about Zechariah today. Okay, he's, he's a nice guy. He's got a nice wife. She's Elizabeth. Elizabeths make great wives, right? It's in the Bible. And and uh, here, here's what Luke tells us, a little bit of background on these two. Verse 5 says, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abaha, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Okay, so we've got this lovely couple, this lovely missionary couple, little ditty about Zach and 
just falls apart right there. Um, but everything's great. He's a priest. She's from a priestly line. They love God. They obey his commands. Everything's great except this one thing. They can't have kids. And, and I know maybe some of you have wrestled with that exact same thing. And man, it is a hard, heartbreaking thing. And it certainly came uh, with significant implications in the first century. Uh, for instance, uh, even in the church in the first century, if you couldn't have kids, a lot of people looked at that like God is somehow cursing you. God is working against you. The first commandment in the Bible that is given to human beings is go be fruitful and multiply. So if you couldn't do that, the people just thought, well, obviously God is trying to tell you something. Obviously you have upset God somewhere along the way. And you would be held at arm's length. You, you would be judged for your inability to have children. Uh, in fact, it was grounds for divorce. If a woman couldn't give her husband kids, he was able to legally say, you can't give me kids, I'm out of here, check you later. Right? It was that big of a deal. In fact, it was even grounds in the church for excommunication. Right? Like if you were a couple in the church that couldn't have kids, it was like, well, I mean, you can go find, you know, there's a Baptist church down the road or something. It, just, it, it was that serious, it was that significant, and so for their entire lives, you can guess that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been viewed under a different kind of light. They would have struggled with this day to day, week to week, year to year, and, and now they're, they're old, they're up in their age. He thinks it's way too late to have any kids at this point. So it's been a burden. But here's what we know in the Bible. It says that they were good people who loved God and obeyed all of his commands and walked according to his will. So they've done nothing wrong, right? Which might tell us that sometimes when bad things happen, it's not because God is making them happen. It's because our world is dark and hurtful and bleak and it's full of sin. That's just life sometimes, isn't it? Don't always assume that every bad thing to happen is from God's hand. It's because we live in a fallen world. And so they're just wrestling with this, and it's hard on them. And so what do you do when life is hard, but you believe in God, you believe he hears your prayers, you believe that he answers prayers? What do you, well, you pray. And so that's what they've been doing. We see this in the first half of verse 13. The first half says, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. All right, so he's obviously been praying. When he goes to work, he prays about it. Right? When, when he comes home at night, they probably pray about it together. They, they want to have kids, and, and they believe that God can do that kind of thing, and so they've been praying for it, but no answer. Hasn't happened for years. And then we read the second half of verse 13. It says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. And the next five verses go into like crazy detail. That's not the only answer. It's like, yeah, you're going to have a kid. His name's John. Good luck. It's like, no, here's what he's going to do. Here's everything about him. Here's his favorite color and what his favorite foods are going to be like. There's five verses about this guy. This is the clearest, most detailed answer to prayer that you could ever get. I mean, they, they just lay it all out. Like, it, it's crazy. And especially back then, like, there was no pregnancy test back then. Right? Like, so this is kind of a bonus for them. This is like a positive pregnancy test from heaven. Right? Because the only other way that you would know that you were pregnant was that if eventually you just got big and you were like, well, it feels like there's a baby in there. This, I'm either pregnant or it's alien all over again. One of those two things. Right? So this is like an angel of the Lord saying, you're pregnant. It's like, woo, all right. 
That's a huge answer to prayer. They've been praying for a child. God answers their prayer. They get all the descriptions, and yet this is, this is Zachariah's response in verse 18. How can I be sure this will happen? I mean, I'm old. My wife is also well along. Notice the shift in words there. Doesn't call his wife old. I'm old. She's just well along. It's two different things. In other words, his response is, I'm not sure. I'd like to believe you, but this doesn't sound right. I'd like to think that this was true, that I'm not just having a crazy dream, but I, I'm old, and this just seems insane. As there's no way. As, ah, can, how can I be sure? Have you ever asked for something and received it and been surprised? Why are we surprised when we get what we pray for? Why do we do this? See, I believe that there is a gap that exists between our knowledge of God and what we actually expect from God. I believe that there is a gap that exists between what I, I think and believe God says about himself and what he can do, but what I'm actually expecting him on a daily basis to do in my life. There is a disconnect that exists between those two things, and I think that's a problem for us. I mean, that was the case for Zechariah. He obviously believed that God could answer prayer because he prayed every day. He obviously believed in a God that can do miracles because he lived for him. He was in the ministry, for goodness sakes. But when he finally gets an answer to prayer, his response is, oh, probably not. Why is there a disconnect between our, our belief and our expectations? Why is our, our belief and our expectation in God, well, he, he can, but he probably won't. Right? He, he can, but what are the chances? He can, but probably not for me. He can, but probably not this time. You ever assume about God he can, but he just usually doesn't? Why do we go with God with such low expectations? I think we have a bit of, of an expectation situation on our hands. And I think it's a problem to go before God and ask for something that you're already doubting he'll give you. I think that's a problem for our faith. I believe it's a problem that we have access to the almighty God of the universe who says, talk to me, I'm listening, and I like to give good gifts to my kids. And, and, and then we ask, and, and we just don't even think he's going to show up for me. I think it's a problem that we always assume somehow God is working against me instead of for me. I think it's a problem that we assume the answer is usually almost always just going to be no or wait or maybe instead of, yes, the Bible says all of his promises are what? Yes. And amen. So why do we know it, but we don't really live it? We have an expectation situation on our hands. This James, the brother of Jesus, uh, he spoke to us about this. This is James chapter 1, verse 5. And he says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Right? He's generous, means he likes to give, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. And do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. 
their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. If you ask God for something but don't really believe he's going to give it to you, then you probably already know the answer to your prayer. If you ask God for something, but you're doubting that he's even capable of doing, you're just like a wave. You're just the Graminan fairy in the winter, just up one minute, down the next, back up, and next thing you know, you're crying in the bathroom, and I'm just grade six all over again for me. Scarred for life. What's James' encouragement here for us? Expect God to answer. Expect him to do what he says he can do. Expect him to be who he always is. Go and and pray in expectations. Don't make negative assumptions about him. Put verse 7 back up there if we can. This is such a sobering verse, isn't it? Such people should not expect to receive. I don't have all my scriptures up there. They should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That seems to indicate that if you don't believe your prayer will get answered, you'll be right. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? I'm going to pray for this. It's not really going to happen. Well, it won't. That's what James seems to say to us. If you start all of your prayers with, God, I know you probably don't want to do this. God, I know I'm probably interrupting your day. I know that you're, it's like when your kids come and ask you a question and it starts with, I know you're going to say no, right? Guess what? You're right. Almost all the time, you're right. He says, if you pray like that, then you're not going to get it. Why? Because I don't think God likes to reward unbelief. I don't think God likes to reward a lack of faith. That's not what he does. That's not what he seems to do in the Bible. Biblically speaking, God honors belief. Biblically speaking, God honors big faith. He answers big prayers and big actions that are done with an expectancy that God will show up and do what he says he's going to do. If you just flip ahead three chapters, Luke chapter 5, it's a story about four friends. They've got a paralyzed friend, and and they're so desperate to get him to Jesus, they they go to the home where Jesus is preaching, but it's packed out. People are outside, and and they can't get him in there, and and they are so just intent that this guy see Jesus, that they climb up the roof, they cut a hole in the roof, and they literally lower him down. The Bible says, right in front of Jesus' eyes as he's preaching. I've never had that happen to me while I've been preaching. Lots of other things, but never a man just lowered. And here's what it says. What does Jesus do? This is Luke 5.20. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. A couple verses later, he gets off his mat and he walks out the door. Right? Seeing their faith, why they believed so deeply that if I could just get to this guy who heals people, then he'll be healed. If I can just get him in front of Jesus, then I know something is going to happen. And, and they expected it, and Jesus honored their faith. You jump ahead three more chapters. This is Luke chapter 8. Jesus is walking through a huge crowd. Everywhere he goes, there's crowds of people, and he's trying to get his way through this crowd. And all of a sudden, he asks, well, who touched me? It's kind of a crazy question when you're in the middle of a huge crowd. The answer is everybody. Everybody touched you. But no, he, he actually stops and he says, nope, I felt some healing power leave me. Which is, that's such a crazy line, isn't it? 
It's just so casual. No, some healing power. I had it and it's gone. It's like when you, kids, I know someone took the cookies out of the pantry. Like I know, I just know someone did it. It's like, no, I had some healing power. It just left. And it ends up being a woman who again was so desperate to get to Jesus because she believed so strongly and deeply that he had the power to heal her. This is what we read in Luke 8, 47. It said, when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So again, she, she's just so intent on getting to Jesus. Why? Because she expects that if she can just get to him, he has the power to change her. She just expects that if I can just get up there and even just touch him, then, then something good will happen in my life. I'm going to get the answer to prayer that, that I haven't had all of these years. Jesus honors expectancy. God honors big faith and actions that are done in big faith. He honors us when we believe that he's actually a capable, good, loving God who, who can do the impossible and loves to do the impossible on behalf of his people. Biblically, that's how it looks. So how do you think it feels when we go before God like, all right, God, I know you probably won't. I know the answer probably already. I know that you can, but you usually say no. But do you see the difference between that and literally cutting a hole in the roof because you're that intent on seeing Jesus? What kind of prayers does God honor? What kind of prayers does God answer? We've got to have some faith. We've got to really believe that God is capable of doing the things that we're asking him to do. So here's what happens to Zechariah because of his doubt. Verse 19, then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was me, uh, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Like you're just, all the pregnant moms are like, can that happen to my husband next time? God says, listen, this miracle is going to happen because I've already said that it was going to happen, but you're just going to shush in the meantime until I do what I say I'm going to do. No more doubt's going to come out. This is like the equivalent of why don't you just sit quietly and think about what you've done, right? Every time you open your mouth, you're just proving that you don't know better than me. So let's just keep that mouth closed for a little while, shall we? And I will show up and do what I do. You know how many, God, how many times God does this in the Bible? It's a bunch. Always the men. <laughs> right? Just, no, you're mute for a little bit. Just think about it for a while. See, he, ex he doubted. He didn't have expectancy with God because of his experience with God. See, his experience was that I've been praying for these things and they aren't happening. His experience was a no answer all the time. So all of a sudden, he made his experience his expectancy. Well, this is how it always goes, so this is how it's always going to be. Because of my experience, I'm going to start to make some insights into who I think God is. And that is so dangerous. I want to I warn us tonight from walking down that path. 
your experience and your expectancy can be two different things. They will be two different things, right? You, you should pray believing that God can, even if he hasn't. You should pray that way. You should pray believing that God will, even if he always, even if he doesn't always. You have to pray that way. You have to pray believing. You can't let your experience dictate your theology. And, and here's what I mean by that. You, you, you've got to be so careful not to say things like, well, God hasn't, so God doesn't. You can't go there. Well, God hasn't answered my prayer, so God doesn't answer prayers. God hasn't healed me yet, so God doesn't heal people. God hasn't showed up and provided for me yet, so God's not a provider. It's so dangerous to walk down the road where experience starts to kind of dictate your expectancy. You need to pray still believing and expecting that God can show up for you even if he hasn't yet. Sometimes his answer is hold on. Wait until my timing is perfect. Wait until I say this is okay to do. It's not a no, and, and it's not indifference. Don't ever take God's silence as indifference. Trust him. Pray still expecting. Right? What we do sometimes is we let our past disappointments dictate our current prayers. Because I'm angry that this happened, because I'm sad this hasn't happened, because you haven't showed up for me when I've prayed this, what we do is we start to pray differently. We start to pray with less faith. We start to pray with less expectancy. He didn't answer it the first 400 times, so I'm going to go pray 401, but I really, I'm not believing he's going to do it. Don't let your past disappointments kind of reshape the way that you pray your current prayers. God is still good and he's still for you. But God honors our expectancy. And listen, I want to be careful that you guys all understand. This is not like health or wealth prosperity preaching. You just name it and claim it. You pray for a million bucks, you're going to get it tonight. No, God likes to say no a lot. Right? That, that's not what we're doing. What we're saying is that God loves it when his people come before him with big faith and say, I believe you can do this. When your faith is stronger than your doubt, that's what God wants. When, when you really believe that he can answer what you're asking, that's what he's looking for. See, sometimes the issue with our expectation is that what we're hoping for isn't necessarily what's best for us. Right? What we want isn't necessarily what we need. And God will always give you what you need, not necessarily what you want. And so the issue is that I'm mad at God because he's not doing what he said he was going to do. And God's going, actually, I'm doing exactly what's best for you. You just don't know it right now. God is always going to do what is best for you. Always. Right? God is only and always good. Everything God does is good. Everything God says is good. Everything about God is good. So however he's working in your life right now is good for you. However he's answering your prayers right now is what's good for you. Even if he's answering no right now, that's what's good for you. Right? That, that's what's best for us. God is never not working out something good in your life. That's what he does. 
That's just sometimes our expectations are different. But God, I, I prayed this, I expected you show up and, and that you were going to do this, and God's answer is, that would not be good for you. Trust me. Right? Expect God to do what's good for you and what's right for you, and, and what he's currently doing on your behalf is better than any alternative you were hoping for. I'll say that again. Whatever God is currently doing in your life for you is better than any other alternative that you were hoping for. You've got to trust him. You've got to know that that's good and that's true and that's right. Sometimes the expectation isn't from us. It's that what he knows is best for us is different than what we want. He's only ever doing what's good for you. So why does any of this matter? Well, a lot rides on this, on our expectations. Right? Church is a waste of time if you don't show up actually expecting that God can use this time to change you. Right? This is a waste of time. Right? This, is, this sermon is a 30-minute diversion if we don't believe and expect that the Holy Spirit is capable of speaking and transforming and changing and moving and helping and restoring and comforting. Right? It's a waste of time, isn't it? If I actually didn't expect God to do anything weekend after weekend after weekend, I'll just go work at Best Buy. I'll get a video game discount. It'll be great. Right? I want you to come to church expectant. I want you to come to church believing and knowing that God wants to talk to you, that he wants to challenge you, that he wants to speak to you, that he wants to change you, that, that he wants to challenge you in some way, that he wants to, to make the best of you and to continue to form you into the person he's got created for you to be. Don't just come to church thinking, oh, here we go again. There's songs, a sermon, and some coffee. Come to church believing and expecting, what's God going to do tonight? What's God going to do today? How's he going to change me? Come to church expectant, believing that he wants to speak and knowing that he can. If you come to church expecting nothing, that is what you will leave with. But I challenge us to come into this place praying and hoping and waiting and believing that God has something for us every time. I want you to live expecting that God can do mighty things in your life on your behalf. That God wants what's best for you and your family. That he's working things out on your behalf so that it'll go in that direction and in your favor. I want to challenge us to start praying big prayers in big faith. I want us to dream more and ask, what if? Instead of, well, I know you probably don't want to. Change the way you pray. Right, what, what if we were all as desperate as those four friends who cut a hole in a ceiling? What, what, when was the last time you were as desperate as that woman who fought her way through a crowd just to touch his robe? When was the last time you pursued God that hard because you believed he was going to show up on your behalf? Are you expecting him in your life to that degree? Right, I'm, man, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of throwing up these big prayers and then being like, probably not. And then he answers them and I'm like, I am the worst pastor. Right? Like, I, me and Zachariah would be friends. Right? In the ministry, loving Jesus, and then praying like, I don't know about that. And then it happens and God shuts you up. 
right? Even just, even this fall, I look at what God has done. And I, I think about when we asked, hey, we should go launch a South Campus. That's a crazy idea. That's going to cost, we should ask the church for like $35,000. That is dumb, right? And then he did it. He just showed up and he brought it. In fact, we, we raised 50% more than we were even asking for before day one ever started at the South Campus. Right? I was thinking, well, we'll just cross our fingers and pray on a weekly. We, we'll just pay as we go week by week. God's like, um, over here. This is what I did. And, and even with the South Campus, what, you know, we, I don't know how this is going to go. How do you think this is going to work? I'm thinking if we get like 50 people a week, that might make it worthwhile. We haven't been below 100. And God's, people are getting saved at South Campus. We're meeting brand new people at South Campus. And I'm praying for 50? We just sold our parsonage, that white house over there. We put that up for sale, and, and I want you to know that's, that's a step of faith because what we do when we sell that piece of land is what we're really saying is that this piece of land isn't our future. And we put that thing up for sale, and I thought, this is going to be for sale for a year. Who wants to live next door to a graveyard? Who wants to live next door to a parking lot? Right, like who in their right mind wants to do that? Sold in a day. It's gone. Someone lives there now. Like, that happened. I'm not going to be shocked to wake up mute tomorrow. <laughs> For all the times that I have prayed and then doubted, and then he answers it, and he's like, what is your problem? Just time after time after time. I'm going to get up here to preach some weekend. Nothing's going to come out, and you're going to be like, oh, what did God do this time? It's going to be great. He's like, Mark, why don't you just shush for a little while? think about what you've done because all I keep doing is showing up on your behalf all I keep doing is answering your prayers all I keep doing is proving my goodness to you and you know what I'd, I'd, I'd like to think my faith is bigger now and I'm more prone to believe that God is able to do more than I could even ask it, it makes me not want to pray it safe anymore quit praying it safe Let's believe that God can do big things. Let's believe that he wants to. Don't you think God wants his kingdom to grow and flourish? Don't you, don't you think God wants to see hundreds and thousands of, of more people get saved? Don't you think he wants to do it through Crosspoint? So let's believe for hundreds of more people to get saved in our church. Let's believe for, for thousands of people in Fredericton. To, to get saved. Let's believe that, that the God who sold the parsonage today can give us a new building if he wants. Right? Why, why would we doubt at this point anymore? Let, let's be a church that believes that God can show up and transform lives and break addiction and heal relationships and restore broken hearts and draw people with the hardest hearts into his kingdom. I don't want to just know in my head that he's capable. I want to believe in my heart that he will. Because he wants to. And because he's asking us to pray that way. He told his disciples, if you look at that mountain and you just believe that it can get chucked into the sea, then it will. Right? Notice, notice he doesn't say if you have faith. We always wrongly kind of repeat that verse. If you have faith that can move mountains. No, Jesus said believe. If you believe that, that it can happen. 
believe that God can do what he says he can do? Do you believe that he is the almighty, unconquerable, victorious God who has the ability to heal and transform and save? Then let's live that way. Let's believe that way. Let's pray that way. Let's act that way. It's one thing to know it in our heads. It's another thing to cut a hole in the ceiling. It's one thing to read it in the Bible. It's another thing to chase him down just to try and touch his coat. Let's have that kind of faith. Let's be that church. Let's be those people who are constantly surprised at how good God is, but not necessarily at what he does. Because we're expecting him to show up in a big way anyway. Let's believe that our best days are ahead of us. And that he can do infinitely more than we could even dream or imagine. Let's pray that way. Amen.